<sighs> okay, here we go. My guest on today's episode is Abel James, a New York Times bestselling author, musician, and online creator. He's the host of the award-winning Fat Burning Man show, which I actually worked on for a while, and you'll find out how that came about in just a few minutes. And that podcast has been rated Apple's number one health podcast in eight countries with over 50 million downloads. And it's still raging. Abel is known as a coach to the coaches and has worked with thousands of people across the world to optimize performance, mindset, health, and longevity. And one of the things that I actually didn't know about Abel until just recently, and I've known him for quite a while, is that he has an AB from Dartmouth College and graduated as a senior fellow with honors with a concentration in psychological and brain sciences. So we do deviate a little bit from the fitness topics, but I think you'll see how it all ties ties back together. My name is Brock Armstrong, and it's time to get your second wind. But before we talk to Abel, as you've probably noticed, this podcast is no longer in production, but there are so many people who are still listening to each episode and reaching out to me for advice and help and support that I've decided to keep the dream and this podcast alive, which means I'm paying a few maintenance fees out of my pocket. And I don't mean to make this sound like a woe is me kind of affair, because it is indeed a pleasure to have created something that is being appreciated. But if you felt so inclined, you could go to brockarmstrong.com slash coffee to, yes, as it sounds, buy me a virtual coffee. And since coffee is easily my biggest vice, I'm what you would call a coffee snob, if you buy me a coffee, I can pay my hosting fees with all the coffee money that I save. So, win-win situation here. So, go to brockarmstrong.com coffee and help keep this podcast and my fancy coffee habit alive. That's brockarmstrong.com coffee. You know, every time I bring up the the title of your podcast, Fat Burning Man, I always want to sing, Fat Burning Man, do Please what do. I can, fat burn. <laughs> <laughs> so I can't help but start the podcast like that. So welcome. Thanks for joining me on this episode of Second Wind Fitness. You know, Abel, we, I don't know if you remember the exact moment that we met for the first time, but. I believe so. If it's Do the you? same time I'm remembering, yeah, paleo effects, right? Coming up to the stage. Did I boss you around? <laughs> was I, I never felt bossed around. I felt okay. like someone was doing their job. Well, so for the, for the people listening out there, so I was, I was a stage manager at this wonderful, huge conference in Austin, Texas called Paleo FX. And I was running the main stage and Abel, I think you were about to moderate one of the first panels of the day. And so I'm running around on stage making sure everything's working and getting everything all set up. And I needed somebody to check one of the speakers on the other side of the stage. And I was looking around and I was like, my radar just went, musician, he'll know what he's what to do. And I'm like, Abel, will you check that monitor for me? And I don't think I said, please. I don't think I introduced myself. I just like, Abel, check that monitor. And you're like, yeah, no problem, man. Sounds good. And you checked it. And then later in the day, I was like, came up to you a little sheepish, like, 
Um, by the way, I'm sorry for <laughs> bossing you around, but <laughs> gave you my background as like the podcast producer for Mark Sisson and Ben Greenfield and stuff. Yeah. Gave some context. And then, of course, the stage manager for that stage. And by the way, <laughs> and then we uh, soon after that, we started working together. So that was uh, I regret the exact way that we met, but it turned out well. <laughs> <laughs> I I have no recollection of any sort of bad vibes whatsoever. I know the feeling when you're supposed to be running a live show or a live gig and a monitor goes out or something's not right and you got to have someone run, running around but they're in the bathroom <laughs> like who's yeah. the, where's the hell I don't know where they are. So uh I I totally um empathize with that position you were in and then you know it's like you're one of us right like you've you've seen yeah so much of the inside of so many different businesses and the way that people kind of go about all of this and i really appreciate your perspective in fact i had a dream last night that i was in a hockey arena listening to the frozen puck song <laughs> the frozen really? puck to the head wow and that was a legit dream that i i don't know why i've never had that dream before but um it just so happens i'm recording this today so that that can't be an accident. That our brains work in mysterious and magical ways. They do. <laughs> but you know, the the whole thing, like the reason that like I, I knew you were a musician, I know your background and I know so much about you. And at that point we hadn't actually met, but there's such a wonderful thing about podcasting, like getting in somebody's ear and, and thank you to all the listeners out there who are allowing Abel and I into your ears right at this moment. Indeed. Because it really is this intimate situation and you get to know people or feel like you know them in such a meaningful way, even though you haven't met them at all. So like I I I really do appreciate anyone who's listening to this podcast right now and and you, Abel, for putting yourself out there for is it eleven years you've been doing the Fat Burning Man podcast now? Yeah, something like that. Wow. <laughs> it's kind of nuts. Not every single week though, I will say. You know, okay. we've, we've taken little breaks here and there. We've put out shows, but yeah, 10 years and uh, kind of amazing. Sometimes it feels like a lot shorter than that. Sometimes it feels like a lot longer than that too. I bet. Yeah, I bet. You know, and, and actually having that longevity is exactly the, the kind of stuff that I want to talk to you about today, because I mean, first of all, what I'm really interested in is like, if you go to, to your website, you're not shy about your past about how you were overweight you were really buying into and and exemplifying that the conventional wisdom of nutrition and exercise and or lack thereof that that was going on at the time so can you just can you give a, a little bit of history for for me and for the for the yeah. audience about like what what is your history with movement and and exercise in particular yeah so i i grew up in rural New Hampshire in the Northeast. And there wasn't a whole lot to do. We didn't have cable television and we kind of made our own fun, our own entertainment yeah. for the most part. And uh, so that meant a lot of playing outside, a lot of kind of like just getting dirty with nature, going way into the woods, you know, like looking for cranberries and, and wintergreen <laughs> and strawberries and stuff like that. So very just kind of I, idyllic in a lot of ways in, the, in our own bubble. And uh, my brothers and I were allergic to almost every traditional Western medicine out there that's an antibiotic. By the time we were just infants, both of us got really ill. And uh, so my mom, who was a nurse, became a nurse practitioner and learned all about wild crafting and kind of did before podcasting, did the live speaking circuit about 
herbalism and, and incorporating herbs into Western practice. And she had her own little practice for a while. So I was just kind of like wow. growing up in this world where if I got sick, it would be a homemade tincture or a bomb or something with food in a lot of cases. And then of course, hmm. being a, you know, type A, too big for this town type personality, especially <laughs> when I was younger, I just like hit the gas hard and studied really hard, uh, went, uh, to high school for three years and then uh, went to Dartmouth College for a while and studied uh, psychology and brain science and accumulated a few loans, continued to work hard. And then after college, wanted to pay off those loans, got a really good job. And for the first time, really good health insurance. And so going that, that path, you know, I wanted to think, especially back then, that I was better than where I came from and the principles and and the way that farms I knew ran in the family, you know, for generations and all this stuff. I kind of want, for whatever reason, wanted to abandon that and find something that was better because if you're paying all this money, if you've gotten all this expensive education and mm. you've wound up, you know, working at the highest levels of the government and in the private sector, you would assume that you'd be getting good care and you'd be getting good advice, but hitting the gas hard on that advice, which was typical, eat low fat, reduce dietary cholesterol to almost nothing, eat more healthy whole grains. You know, we all know this, this thing. Yeah. So I continued to be, um, I, I guess I skipped over the athletics part, but I loved being outside, outside sports for the most part. So like running, uh, got really into mountain biking for a while. And when I was younger, I played basketball, baseball, and and football for a while, but kind of just bounced around from sport to sport. But despite the fact, so skip ahead to my early 20s, and I've got this great health insurance. I'm going to the doctor every two weeks. I'm measuring my urine, my blood, looking at my my stats. Over the course of about 18 months, they were getting worse and worse and worse. My triglycerides were skyrocketing. My my high blood pressure was becoming a problem. My thyroid stopped working like it should. I gained, you know, 20, 30 pounds and I was still running 20, 30 miles a week. I was still exercising a lot. Yeah. And so uh, that eventually came to a head when I lost everything in an apartment fire and all I had left was my big fat face and my <laughs> non-fit body. And I'm like, all right, bub, let's make oh, this, geez. let's hit the gas on this one and figure out what you did wrong. <laughs> what a way to sort of force you into a mindset shift, I guess, <laughs> to yeah. lose kind of everything and, and need to go from scratch. Well, I'm grateful that it wasn't a direct health problem. Like for a lot of people, mm -hmm. it's a heart attack, right? Or, or someone close to them dies or, or you get seriously ill. And that's the thing that's like, okay, now I'm going to take my health seriously, right? Yeah. But I'm, I'm really grateful that I, in fact, kind of got sicker faster than a lot of my friends because I was trying harder, <laughs> you know, and most people in their early 20s just aren't, aren't trying that hard to be super healthy. And I wanted to run marathons and, and keep running more. And I knew that it was just too much weight. It wasn't working. And I, I had also read a lot in the running magazines about carving up, yeah. drinking all your Gatorade and and all this stuff. So once I abandoned that whole kind of just traditional media, I guess, or running magazine combined with traditional advice from the doctor thing, and then started looking for actual examples of people who had achieved something ridiculous, like Mark Sisson, even back then was in his, I think, late fifties and, um, yeah. you know, peak health that people know Mark Sisson who are listening to this probably, but he was a, an exceptional example of someone who was living a lifestyle 
throughout their life that was very active and and seemed to be appealing, much more appealing than the standard of being, you know, by that age, 50 pounds overweight probably and and mm-hmm. not really able to climb or run or play like we're supposed to. So looking for those examples. And then also um, my older half brother had, had a few years earlier watched Pumping Iron for the first time and and went from being like twiggy skinny to I don't know how many pounds he put on. It was obscene and insane. I don't know how kosher all of it was, but I do know that he, you know, hit protein powder and ate a bunch of bacon and listened to some crazy, you know, people who were down the rabbit holes back then and in bodybuilding circles, in physique competition and in athletics, some, some like Hollywood celebrity circles, like they know how to get down to single, single percentage body fat if they Mm -hmm. want to. So I was looking for that. And once I kind of found some of the various principles like, uh, cyclic ketogenic dieting, uh, and also intermittent fasting, especially once I found those and, and learned how to manage my glycogen better, uh, for my activity, then it was just, it was kind of like so steady the, the path and so quick to get to the body composition that I wanted to and the athleticism that I was looking for that I was so mad that it made me start up the podcast <laughs> and the blog because I'm just like, why doesn't everyone know this? This is so much easier, better. And, and I was trying so hard the wrong way. It made me so frustrated that I didn't want it to happen to other people like it happened. To me. And it is really easy to feel some anger towards that because it feels like we've been duped. Yeah, but at the same, I always I try to take a a little more measured approach and and realize that it probably wasn't. It, what's there's a saying about it, whenever you assume malevolence, maybe you should assume stupidity instead. I think <laughs> or that's just, fair. <laughs> like it's not necessarily that the world is evil. It's just that there are people who aren't necessarily doing the deep thinking like you yeah. were and and like some of the other people that you followed. But isn't it interesting the like you brought up intermittent fasting and like, I know I'm, I'm much older than you, but in the same sort of time period, we were experiencing the same sort of thing where like we were told like eat more often and we had abundance of food around us at all times. Mm-hmm. And then this idea of intermittent fasting just sort of dropped. And it's like uh, this newly labeled shiny thing that we've discovered. But right. when I look back at my childhood, my dad skipped breakfast a lot. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't called intermittent fasting. He just was no. busy or wasn't hungry or whatever. Nobody made a big deal of it. It was just missing a meal, just skipping a meal. And and yeah, in the 60s, 50s, we didn't have the obese obesity problem that we have now mm-hmm. before all of that stuff came into play. But then what's old is new comes around again. Bone broth is the other thing. Yeah. Like, it was called soup when I was a kid. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's how you make a proper soup. Yeah, it was just like grandma always had bones boiling on the on the stove. That was just because who's going to buy broth? That's ridiculous. Yeah. But it's uh, yeah, it's interesting. Like we can learn so much from the older wisdom, but mm-hmm. also we need to I think there is a, a need to rebrand stuff in some ways. Yeah. Do you feel like that maybe it was part of the the mindset shift that you you went through is just being able to see these as new ideas? Probably that was some of it, but also very appealing was rebelling against a system that I knew wasn't working, at least for me. Oh, yeah. Okay. Right. So like the idea that I could do the things that my doctor said would stop my heart and make me die 
But in fact, I was running marathons and getting personal bests and, and, you know, running 10 Ks and all sorts of different races and, you know, keeping the body composition that I wanted to and feeling better than ever like that. That was appealing. But also, yeah, I think there's a tendency you, you kind of need to make it sexy for yourself. You need to call it mm. something that you want. Like if you don't like the idea of meditation and what that kind of connotes to you, what that brings up in your head, then think of it as quiet time. Like my dad growing mm-hmm. up. He was a, a stonemason and, and worked really hard physical manual labor most of the time. And f- as far as I know, he never meditated, yeah. but he would take quiet time every day for 20 minutes. You couldn't go in there. Sometimes he'd take a nap. He would just, you know, that, leave him alone for those 20 minutes. And I think that's what's really important for a lot of these concepts is none of this is really new. Almost none of it will ever be new. The stuff that works anyway. But we do need to think of ways to frame it for ourselves to make sure that we do what we need to every day, you know, and and that's the challenge over time because, you know, sexy ideas will last for a little while, kind of like getting a new trinket. It's like you might be excited about it for a minute and then you'll mm-hmm. totally not be. And and that's the challenge. Yeah. How many Fitbits and aura rings and mm-hmm. whoop bands and stuff have we gone through in the last 10 or me? I'll speak for myself. Me. Drawers. Drawers. I've got a, two boxes w- that just hold all of my quote unquote biohacking gear that that yeah. arrived and and yeah the the trinkets are really exciting for a little bit and sure they have some efficacy I have learned something about myself from using them yeah but they in themselves don't create the change they help me yeah. elicit the change at best or or maybe they just serve no purpose at all except to empty the bank account a little bit but. But I do want to go back. This is such an interesting thread. So everybody needs to find a way to make it their own. And it sounds like in your past, you rebelled against where you grew up and you rebelled against the idea yeah. of like, I'm better than this place and and stuff. So the, it's interesting to me that it was the same sort of thing that led you to like, I can do the opposite of what my doctor is saying right. and get better results. <laughs> but you know what? I think another big piece of that is that I don't have to check in with someone first. Before I make a major decision with my diet, with my exercise, I don't have to like call up. I mean, I guess I'm talking on a podcast right now. You should always consult your doctor before you do anything. But for me, the idea that you didn't have to check in with that person and follow all of that advice, whether you agreed uh, with it or not, was was exceptionally appealing to me. And and then, you know, following your own intuition and judgment and doing your own experiments, meeting people along the way and be like, do I trust this person? Do they walk the walk uh, or not? And putting that together as a more N equals one, it was the N equals one thing that made it really exciting. Right. And I want to get into that N equals one stuff right away. But first, we need to take a minute to go and pay our membership fees. Do you like to shop on amazon.com and enjoy supporting this podcast? You do? Well, have I got a deal for you. If you start your Amazon shopping adventure by going to brockarmstrong.com slash Amazon, I will get a small percentage of the money that you spend. And the best part is that you don't pay anything extra. This all comes out of their pockets. Take that, Bezos. So next time you buy anything on Amazon, go to brockarmstrong.com slash Amazon and shop while also supporting this podcast. I truly thank you for being a listener and for your support. That's brockarmstrong.com slash Amazon. 
turning ourselves into our own experiments is something that that I think people forget about sometimes is we can use ourselves as our own lab rats. We spend a lot of time looking at scientific studies and following the gurus and stuff and trying to get somebody else to give us the answer. Yeah. But we still like, even if the person like me as a coach for years, I gave people, I prescribed them a a meal plan. I prescribed them workout plan. But at a certain point, I would look at their results and be like, oh, wow, okay, this isn't working. And I'd change it up for them. But you don't need somebody like me to do that. You can do exactly what you did, which is to pay attention, like to measure the outcome Mm -hmm. while you're running the experiment. Is that, is that the kind of the way that you coach these days? In a, in a way, yeah. Um, I'm very hands-off. Wh- whoever I've worked with will will definitely tell you that. Mm. And uh, I really approach a lot of this from training in music almost my whole life on all sorts of different instruments where if you have a coach, they can recalibrate and kind of reorient you from from an early position such that, you know, like a couple inches to the right will put you in a different state, you know, if you keep on driving, uh, you know, you'll go hundreds of miles in a different place just because of that one little recalibration early in the process. So I think coaches are really important that way. And for the most part, I've coached a lot of people at the beginning. And then once it's more advanced, once people know what to do, I kind of just, I tell people it's on you now, (laughs) like you don't need me anymore to recalibrate that beginning piece. Now the work goes on you. And and that's the same thing with music. If you want to keep getting better at any art or any craft or, or athletics, you can't just like keep doing the same weight and showing up and doing the same workout every day. You can't just keep running the same scale every day. Yeah, you'll get good at that thing, but mm-hmm. eventually you need to stop. You need to go from the doing push-ups by the pool type exercise thing into some more useful things that you can integrate into what you actually do. And so that is the work and the challenge, you know, because showing up and and just running through your workout or running through your training, that becomes easy once you habituate to that, that workout. Once that becomes easy, it's not really making you that much better anymore. The difference there, I would, I would argue maybe is strength training where Mm -hmm. you need to do it at least once a week or so, um, to maintain your strength. And that's, that's worth it. You don't have to keep going for more and more and more weight necessarily, but there's the showing up piece that yes, that's what people assume is the work, but the programming and making sure that you're doing the right sorts of exercises in your training for your age or for your goals or whatever that takes work. And whether you want to do that on your own, you can, but having a coach can be really useful. And sometimes that's a personality thing. Sometimes some people are lone wolves and others work really well with coaches the whole time. I feel like sometimes just having the right people in your life can yeah. can contribute to that coaching. Like it's an informal kind of coaching. Like mm-hmm. you interviewed me a couple of weeks ago for your podcast. And at one point you were talking about in the mornings you're getting up and you're you're practicing um music. So you're you're spending that time meditating and and shredding <laughs> and stuff. We had a great conversation yeah. about that. And since then I've actually been forcing myself to play scales on the guitar because I've been playing. Nice. I learned how to play guitar in high school. So we're talking like 1985. I started playing guitar. So a long time I've been playing guitar and I played it professionally. I got paid to play guitar on other people's albums, my own albums. You'd expect me to be a very good guitar player. And I am, but I don't know scales and I've always avoided them. And yeah, 
you inspired me. You, you sort of coached me, I guess, in a way by talking about that. And, and I realized in my life that I've been taking the easy route on guitar. I keep playing the same, mm-hmm. same kind of chords, the same kind of figures. Occasionally I learn a new lick or two, but mostly I'll fall back on stuff that I learned in the 80s and the 90s. Is there, like in your, your background with psychology and brain science, is there a real importance to doing things that you kind of suck at? Like, yeah. is that an important thing? Yeah, because um, I, I started playing guitar pretty early too. And it's the same deal. Like once you've been playing 25 or 30 years, even adding a new lick in there isn't going to do much for you. Yeah. You know, there's just too much of this. That, it's fun. <laughs> yeah, it's fun, but there's a big snowball and you just keep, you know, kind of doing the same thing. It's 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 a trap. It's also very comforting. It depends on why you're doing it. But if you want to get better, which which is the challenge that I was taking on, then you kind of need to go through the motions of the fundamentals, the fundamental exercises, right? Like uh, one thing that that changed for me is I, with scale, I, I had the same experience. It's like I hated playing scales and I didn't want to do arpeggios. And it's like, what's all this music theory business? Um, a minor pentatonic. What? Yeah. I wanted to create, I wanted to go jam. I wanted to go play with you. And and that's a really important thing to do. Absolutely. But what I didn't have the, the, you know, air quotes, time or patience for a discipline for maybe was sitting down and just even for 10 minutes. I, so one, one of the things that really changed my mind about that was a couple of years ago, I got in touch with a guy in, uh, the UK, who was one of the, just one of the best bebop guitar players and other mm. instrumentals like he plays everything pretty much at just like a max level <laughs> just almost like you could almost not be better at, at some of the things that he does and he said you know what if you're doing the right thing then you don't really necessarily need more than 20 or 30 minutes a day on your instrument mm. i'm like really so you can you can get to or maintain this level and it's like maybe you can't get to that level but you can make major, major progress with 20, 30 minutes a day, you know, per instrument or per craft, per whatever that is, if you're putting it into the right sorts of of things. And so I started thinking of instead of all these different scales and all these different modes and all these different numbers in a linear way where they're just kind of everywhere and they're all over the place, I started thinking of it as the circle, as the circle Mm -hmm. of fits and how it's all connected and how they're all just different versions or inversions of each other and how you know the major scale is the minor scale you just like move you shift it over a few pitches and it's the same thing and so i started to look for those similarities and that became so fun in a different way that in an unexpected way and uh whatever you do every day if you keep challenging to play a little faster or a little more cleanly you know or a little slower sometimes uh Mm -hmm then you really will be amazed by the progress that you make kind of invisibly over time. And so the other challenge there is to make sure that you mark your progress every few weeks or, or a few months with some sort of demonstration of your aptitude doing certain things. And so this all applies to fitness as well as music for me. I think of them as, as the same thing <laughs> you know, in a lot of ways. Yeah, shifting basically what you were saying about the scales, like the, the major scale to the minor scale is just moving it over by a couple of notes, moving a semitone instead of a tone in, in the middle here and there. It's very much like 
like diet and exercise, you just mm-hmm. tweak those different variables. Like, okay, I've been eating a lot of carbs or I've been doing a lot of cardio. What happens if I just switch to a little more strength training? What happens if I move to sprint workouts yeah. twice a week or twice a month? And then, like you said, measure that progress so you can be sure that you're actually, these tweaks are having the intended, um, the intended benefits. And getting better builds momentum. So if you've been playing the same stuff on guitar for many, many years, or, or if you've been doing the same thing, then you don't get more confidence from doing it really, right? Like you don't, it sucks when you're bad. Like when I first started learning how to play piano properly in like my mid to late thirties, it's like, Ooh, I am bad. This is terrible. <laughs> this is the worst. But, you know, just making mistakes over and over again. Simple ones. It's like my brain knows where they should go. Why aren't you going there? Yeah, come on, uh, finger. Just that's the fret. (laughs) Just do it. You did it last time. Why aren't you doing it this time? Yeah. My girlfriend came in yesterday while I was practicing. I'm playing the C major scale on the guitar, like eighth fret, just going through C major scale. And she came in and sat down in the room and like, please don't go (laughs) to a different part of the house. I can't. I can't play these scales this poorly in front of anyone. <laughs> I feel the same way. It's really, it's, it's funny how that works. Being observed while you're making mistakes is rough and it always is, but that's what kids do all day. And that's why right. they get better. That's why they get better. Cause they don't care if they know it's part of the process. They're not there to perform. They're there to get better. Yeah. There's a certain, um, I know our ego is there to protect us in a lot of ways and it does a good job of that, but it, it also can protect us from moving forward. <laughs> yeah. And actually anyone who does have, have trouble with that, I encourage you to look up Kenny Werner's book, Effortless Mastery. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a, a jazz piano player who's, who's just f- fantastic musician, but also a wonderful educator. And he has a great way of kind of helping people get rid of all of the anxiety that they bring to uh, their instrument, their sport, or, or whatever it is. When you show up and you're not in a good headspace, there's a way to get get around that. So if you if you do find that you're making lots of mistakes and you have a tendency to be like, ah, oh, dang, like, and kind of scrunch your face or get mad at yourself, try to meditate through that. Or if you do meditate, like, apply that to your practice and make sure that you don't have a negative reaction to the mistakes that you make. Just kind of use them as information and keep going. So if you're scrunching your face or if you're getting mad, notice that, take a little break. And then next time you practice, do less of that, breathe more instead and try not to get mad at yourself because that's part of how you get better. Really important though, to not get mad because that'll just stop any progress most of the time. I I love that. (laughs) That thing that's making you upset, do less of that. Yeah. Yeah. Stop that. (laughs) Very helpful advice. (laughs) It really is. Years ago, I was hired to work at at an event that I didn't necessarily want to be at. And I felt myself being really grumpy. And and to to your point, I had heard uh, Brendan Burchard said that every time he puts on a seminar, he does this work before he goes into the room, he stops and he sets his intention of I'm happy to be here and I'm here to serve. And I think those were the two things. And at least those were the two things that I sort of adopted. That's very cool. And it made a world of difference. Mm-hmm. Just taking that moment to set the intention of, no, I'm I'm happy to be here. And that was more be alive on this earth and able to, to provide this. And I'm here to serve. Like the reason that I'm here is to make these people's experience better and let them do what they need to do. And just 
doing that, it's kind of like practicing gratitude, I guess, that, yeah. that mind shift that happens. But doing it in action, right? That's the yeah. real challenge because doing it, oh yeah, you can be grateful when you're sitting there in a room by yourself, but when you're in the middle of traffic, right? When someone mm-hmm. just like stole something from you, that's that's when you really need it and that's when you need to use it. Right. So we've actually, I think a few times now we've mentioned people who have sort of inspired us along the way. And I like to think of them, I guess, like in terms of this conversation as unintentional coaches. And you always say like on your website, I'm not a guru. I'm not an influencer. I'm just passing the information. Like you, you consider yourself more of a a conduit, but you were on the, the TV show, um, uh, whose diet is best? Is that what it's called? My diet is better than yours is what it's called. <laughs> it's more petty. Sounding. Yeah, it's even worse. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but I think having the, like your podcast is wildly successful and has been around for a long time and as many, many people have heard it. But I feel like getting on is it's sad, but true. But being on television gets you in front of that many more people. Do you feel like? Yeah, for sure. It was a weird experience. I bet. I bet. Can you talk about that? Like being the sort of the, the coach to the millions of people who were watching the show. Did you think of that or were you really just focused on the one fellow? Yeah, it's it's fascinating because you're supposed to do, at least back then, uh, TV shows in a vacuum where you don't talk to anyone about what's happening. And like, meanwhile, I'm recording a new episode of my podcast every week like and you can't from talk the bathroom it. of the apartment in Atlanta where we're like shooting <laughs> you know? like literally I went in the bathroom to record the intros because it had a white little thing and it was a tiny little dinky apartment but anyway I focused on <laughs> continuing to do that that work that that whole podcast and kind of business thing and also layer on top of it coaching Kurt and and doing the TV show so it was really hyper focus at the time. They were 14 hour, 16 hour days. A lot of them, no drinking for me, you know, for, Mm. for me, when it gets like super crazy or I take on a big thing like that, I really clean up where Mm. I can and getting rid of booze as much as I enjoy it. I really do. It's a really easy thing to kick out when I need to get serious because I feel so much better and I have like an extra 30% energy every day the next day and i need it sometimes yeah. right yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm with you there even like even just holidays like if i go to visit my family for the holidays i just eliminate alcohol for the the whole thing because then i know i'm actually going to enjoy myself be there for people a little yeah. bit more and just be a little more positive it is a really easy one to just take out of your life and an yeah. easy one to get rid of but anyway sorry i just wanted to yeah so so cleaning up our own personal uh, lives, Allison as well, because she was working really hard keeping everything running as as we were in Atlanta filming this show. But hyper focused on on Kurt, but also not like showing up at four thirty in the morning to wake him up for a run or something like that's not at all what I was doing. More a relationship for someone where you're there and you're you're with them, not above them. You're going through it together. Hmm. That's how I thought about it with Kurt the whole time and. Uh, so they called us experts on the show and I would always just like cringe. It's like experts and what, what, and who are you ABC television to call anyone an expert in, in health or, fa- or whatever, you know what I mean? It's just kind of absurd. So it was very much a TV show and that was an educational experience for, for me and in, in all sorts of ways. So 
ironically, yeah, like th- this whole time I've kind of been trying to coach people, if anything, by example, and I'm there to answer questions just as someone who's like a little, you know, if, if it's belts in karate or something, then it's like the guy who's just like still there. He's not the guru. He's not the master, the teacher, but he's just like in the corner kind of doing his thing. Cause he's, uh, you know, at a more skilled or advanced level. Cause he's been there for a few more years, but it's nothing special. It's not, he's not above you. And that's how I wanted to frame it. And then as soon as the TV show goes live and comes out, millions of people watch it, you know, it's primetime ABC and I'm positioned as like this expert who I, you know, silly enough on the show, even though my guy lost the most weight, the most fat and by far the most body fat, like not even close uh, because of the way that the reality TV show measured it, we got runner up instead of even one, but mm. it didn't matter because people saw with their eyes, like w- the difference that, that Kurt. So he, he started, he was the only grandpa on the show. Like basically mm. everyone thought he had no chance Yeah, and they wanted us to lose hard, especially the ones eating bacon and pumpkin pie. And so they wanted us to lose so hard. So the production crew was was baffled and befuddled by him losing over 10 pounds a week, multiple weeks, and crushing the fitness competitions and also the weigh-ins uh, over and over again. And after that first episode aired, we were at we had to drive like two hours to go to a, a Motel 6 to get a TV because we lived in rural Tennessee at the time. And so we were like in Nashville or something watching it on TV, and it was like, immediate for the next for the next year and change i could not go almost anywhere without someone just like coming up and um the weirdest part was before that like people who listened to the podcast were it felt like my people yeah right like people who were into listening to the fat burning man and the primal podcast and greenfield and all that it's like these are our people and then as soon as the tv thing happened it was like one person would come up and it's like, I recognize you. I know you from something. Take a picture with me. And then someone else would like recognize them recognizing me. And they come up. It's like, what are you famous for? What was he on? And then it's like, he was on TV. This would happen <laughs> in gas stations. It would happen. Like people would stop their cars and get out. I'm just like, wow. what is happening? You guys, you don't even know what I do. Like, <laughs> do you know why I was on TV? And like none of them, I mean, mo- most of them didn't. Some of them did. But that was a really bizarre Thing. So it didn't even matter that I had any sort of like experience or know-how in, in health. They didn't frame me as an expert in their minds that way. Mm-hmm. It was much more just like the celebrity effect, Yeah. which, uh, yeah, I needed to deal with and I still need to deal with, uh, but I needed to deal with for a while <laughs> after that, because that's one of the things I don't like about hierarchy. One of the things one of the reasons I don't want to be a guru because it's dehumanizing and people don't realize how dehumanizing that can be, you you know, on both ends. Right. Right. It takes the, takes the human out of the, the follower and the, and the leader in, in a lot of ways. But you, you mentioned that you, you like to lead by example and, you know, I didn't, we didn't get the TV show here in, in Canada, or if we did, it was on a channel that I didn't, didn't have. So I didn't get to see it, but I did see a number of clips online and I made an effort to, to go. I'm like, Oh, my friend Abel's on the show. I got to go find it. And the one moment that sticks out the most in, in my brain is you wearing a bacon suit (laughs) running next to Kurt sprinting along in like a soccer field or, or something like that. But Mm -hmm. 
you were not only embodying the the diet, but you were doing the workout with him. You were definitely like, talk about leading by example. And I think that is such an undervalued thing to look for in in a coach, but also to look for in in ourselves, like especially if we've got children, if we're trying to to model yeah. behaviors for them, that's so valuable. And I, I really love that you I don't know if you were even aware that you were doing that in the moment, but oh, you yeah. were you were modeling that behavior for, and on top of that, you both looked like you were having a freaking blast too. You weren't just yes. like slogging out on a treadmill and I won't pick on anybody else the, the clips I saw from that show or from other shows where it looks like you're like, like the de- determination and stuff on your faces. That's fine. I get that. But there's a certain amount of if you can find joy in what you're doing at all times, it makes such a big difference. And I really appreciate that about about your approach in general. Yeah, I think it's really important for any of the coaches out there to to or parents or refresh parents themselves or, with how hard it is yeah. for the people they're coaching to look to make mistakes in front of you. Right. Like what we were talking about before, to even just be overweight in the presence of someone who's ripped is is tough. And I've been there too, right? Like, but, um, (laughs) if the person who's ripped and supposed to be a guru is dressed up in a silly bacon costume, just like (laughs) dancing around in a field, then it's hard to feel sillier than them. And that gets back to kind of beginner's mind. It Mm -hmm. gets back to the child's mind. When you're learning something, when you're getting better, you need to be open, not closed. You need to, you need to be ready to laugh. I think that is a wonderful place to transition. I like to to get people who are on the Second Wind Fitness podcast to to just give the audience three things that they can start applying to their life today. I know that's not a an unusual thing for podcasts to do, but I love to give the audience takeaways. I think yeah. that that is a great number one right there that you gave us. But can you uh, can you give us a couple more little nuggets? Yeah, my wife Allison said last night. Actually, I'm so grateful that. I can't remember exactly how she said it, but she's just like, I'm so grateful that you encouraged me to um, write and just free write and, and sketch in a little mm-hmm. journal, whether it's about anything, it doesn't matter whether, whether it's to-do lists, whether it's just doodling. She didn't really do that so much before. We all can, we all used to it. We did it at some point, but the idea that you could just have a blank page and fill it up with whatever you want, you start to learn how important that is once you start using that. And then also she said the same thing about reading. Like, you know, I really didn't read that much before you, but mm. I think it's just, once again, leading by example, like how, how do I spend my time? I wake up and I, you know, I do what you said and I write in my journal and I'm, I'm writing in a sketchbook or something for a large portion of the day. No computer, no like electronic intermediary between yeah me and what I'm creating. Same thing with reading. I think it's so important if people want to learn. Yeah, it's it's amazing to have podcasts and to have conversations that you can listen to. We didn't really have that before, especially not down all these different rabbit holes. And that's amazing, but it, it should not be the only thing in your education. Like, Don't let the internet be the thing that guides what you learn. Yeah. Take that offline and read. Go for old school books, like learning, learning music. There are 
bebop and jazz legends there are master shredders who have been learning from the same stupid book (laughs) that you know people were learning from 50 years ago at the at the beginning level and if you go through every single exercise and you master all the exercises in one book you can be better than 90 95 percent of the people out there and that applies to health too and so i encourage people to to go old school do the creation side of it with with journals or free write i prefer to call it free writing because it's not it doesn't have that journaling connotation. Yeah. And then reading. Don't read from your phone. Don't read from the internet. Challenge yourself to get some books that you want. You want to learn a field. You want to learn a skill. Go for the old school books. They will keep working forever. You know, there, there seems to be a common theme running through a lot of what we talked about in this episode. And it makes me think of it when I was, um, this is the first time I've actually told anybody this story. So everybody should be feeling really, it's not that big of a deal. But when I was in <laughs> high school, I, uh, I, I was taking a, a test. It was like one of the final exams and I really didn't, I really wasn't prepared and I wasn't confident more than I wasn't prepared. Yeah. So I actually brought in some cheat sheets and I had them in the desk underneath my, under, while I was writing the exam. And of course the teacher noticed, I mean, like kids think you can get away with stuff. He can't get away with stuff. So of course he noticed and he came over and said like, give me that and took my paper away and said, come and see me after class. And I was humiliated because I had to leave the class and in the middle where everybody else is writing the exam. And he sat me down and he just said, you know what, Brock, don't, and I'm going to swear here because this is what he said. Don't be afraid to fuck up. You've got to be, you've got to lose the fear of fucking up. But it was just those, just that sentence yeah. that really resonated with me, especially in that moment. He wasn't mad. He was a little bit disappointed, but he was mostly just, that was so helpful. And it's such great advice for like, if Allison wants to start drawing, don't be afraid to fuck up. If my girlfriend wants to come in while I'm playing the C major scale on the guitar really poorly, I shouldn't be afraid to, to fuck up in front of her. And do you feel like that's a a good, good lesson to take? Oh, that's fantastic. (laughs) And what I will add to that as well, that I have the same thing when I'm like messing up playing music, practicing, which is the whole point. You're supposed to be messing up and sounding bad when you're practicing, whether it's your voice or piano, guitar, whatever, horns, clarinets, it's terrible, but animals, you know, we have a dog and, and sometimes when I do this at my parents' house, similar thing, cats, they'll come up and sit down next to you. Well, you're squeaking out just the worst scales, you know, just, <laughs> just the worst. My wife too, she'll like come over, she'll pull the heater next to it, sit down, start reading and running. And then, and then I become extremely uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> the dog, my wife, everybody's watching. Yeah. Everyone starts coming around. And I think that's some of the magic of it. Like you might think you sound bad. No one cares if you trip over a note, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like you may think you had a terrible game or a terrible workout. No, you, if you had fun. It, it worked. That's great advice for people who are worried about going to the gym because they don't want to look bad in front of the, the other people at the gym. Like if you really want to go to the gym. And we all have. We all don't know how to use the machine at one point or another. We all drop the kettlebell or something, hopefully not on your foot, but right. that, that happens to everybody. It does. Well, this was a, a crazy meandering conversation, but I, I really <laughs> love where, where we ended up here. So um, I'll That's make it. sure to put links to Fat Burning Man. And we didn't even talk about the the wild diet or your, your supplement lines. Like you're a man who has fingers in many different pies, but if you could <laughs> choose true. one pie to, to direct people to, what would it be? Yeah, probably the most relevant pie would be fatburningman.com where you can find our, our recipes, uh, a similar version 
of of this show, except with me hosting and Brock as the guest, <laughs> and less swearing. <laughs> I I encourage you to check out that interview, and also, uh, you know, along those lines, Brock, we've we've collaborated in different forms over the years, and anytime you want to, uh, and people listening out there, he's one of the good ones. <laughs> he's one of the very best ones out there, and I appreciate what you do. Congratulations on the new podcast. Thank and you. I'm yeah. here to support you however I can. Right back at you. I've always always enjoyed everything that we've done together. If anyone was following the the Get Fit guy, Abel popped up occasionally in in sections here and there whenever I needed an expert to to talk about something. I always knew I could rely on you to to jump in there. So the the mutual respect club is is strong and, and alive here. Righteous. All right. I want to thank Abel James one more time for coming on the podcast and sharing his wisdom. And I also want to thank Alison Rose for scheduling the time and making sure we had opportunity to record this episode and also my episode of Fat Burning Man, which you should definitely, definitely go and check that out at fatburningman.com or look for it anywhere you get your audio. All right. My name is Brock Armstrong, and I hope you catch your second wind. <laughs>